good morning. We got a lot of we got a few jerseys around today because uh, Jim, I see you wearing your OSU thing. I love it. I love it. Uh, uh, I, I'm wearing my favorite jersey today. It's uh, Super Sunday, so there's several jerseys around. This is my Wasso tennis jersey. I have this theory that the best athletes in the history of the world were tennis players, and so that's just a theory I have. I, I can't really prove it, but that's what I think. So, um, you know, as a Christian, I, I'm amazed at our are calling to be persuasive. I believe we have a persuasive calling, meaning that, that we are called to persuade people to consider Christ, to look at Jesus, to, to look at who he is and what he's done. And, and as, a, as a Christian in my life, where I'm called to persuade people. I think all of us have that calling, regardless of who you are. You may not... Um, be comfortable getting up and preaching. I mean, I'm not comfortable either. This is a little stressful uh, to get up and preach every week. And, and I found as a pastor, Sunday morning comes with amazing regularity for me. And, um, but, but, you know, um, regardless of your calling or, or your maybe uh, your platform that you have in your life, all of us are called to persuade others. That's why I love this, uh, what, what God has put on Mike Henry's heart. He's right over here. And, and this, this, this just realization that, that we go to work and, and we're called to persuade others. I think that, that we sometimes forget that we're always supposed to think like a missionary. You know, we're, we're, we're called to missions. And, and that's, that's not just going to Mexico like a group just got back from our church. They got back from Mexico. Um, I'm going on Tuesday to Richmond for our IMB meeting, and, and we send missionaries all over the world, and we absolutely should. And, you know, it's, some of you may be called to missions, may be called to go around the world to share the gospel. But, but the reality is every one of us are called to missions, and we should think like a missionary. We're called to be persuasive. And, and you may be lost here today. You may not know Christ as your Savior. You may have come to, been coming to church here for a little bit, just kind of checking it out. And, and I want you to know, without apology, we're trying to persuade you to look at Jesus and consider what he's done. And I don't feel bad about the calling to persuade others. And in fact, I think we need to embrace this a little more. I think sometimes we forget Oh, well, we kind of buy into this, well, I don't want to offend somebody and, and try to, um, you know, push my beliefs on somebody else. Now, now I'm not going to force my beliefs on somebody else, but boy, I want people to know Christ. I mean, why wouldn't we be persuasive? Like we just sang, like Josh sang that song today. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I mean that song was unbelievable. When he says, he, I wrote it down. I was like, i got to write this down so I remember. Um, all my hope is in Jesus. I mean, why would I not be persuaded, be persuasive to others? Because my hope is in Jesus. All of it is. And, and he, when we sang, thank God my yesterdays are gone. I mean, aren't you glad your sins have been forgiven? Because I don't know about you, but I, I, I sit here and, and not as one that goes, oh, wow, I'm really righteous. I, I go, man, I've messed up in my life. I mean, I have a tendency to, to keep messing up even today. And I'm glad that God has forgiven me. 
Because we're not one of those churches that, that we have to get it all together before you come to Jesus. You know that, right? You don't have to get your life together before you come to Jesus. No, you come to Jesus with all your junk and say, hey, Lord, I'm really messed up. And God says, I know, it's okay. I, I, I'll, I'll put you back together. And what we are as a people, we're a, a people that God is putting us back together. And by golly, I want to persuade you if you don't know Jesus, come to Jesus because you have no hope otherwise. Oh, come to the Lord. You know, um, it's interesting as uh, if you know me, if you've been around me very long, you'll understand that, that I have a real passion to share the gospel. And I want people to come to know Christ. And I've committed to the Lord that, that for the rest of my days, uh, every year I'll have a gospel challenge on a pri- privately in my own life. I'll have a gospel challenge to share the gospel with the world. I believe that's a calling we all have as Christians. And, and I said, Lord, as long as you allow me to be a pastor, we'll have a corporate gospel challenge every year. And, and so our challenge this year is, is you're one person. And, and I want to I keep this before us to, to pray about the, the opportunity to sit down with someone this year to, to lead them to Christ. You know, one of, our, one of our college students said something so striking to me last week last Saturday. We're at Elevation Weekend, and, and, and you know, the invitation was going on, and, and, and some kids were responding to the gospel, and, and we went out into the Fellowship Hall, and, and uh, one of our college students who grew up in our ministry walks in there to, to, to help, and, and I said, hey, why don't you go to, to this, that, that group right there, and he looked at me like, oh, oh, <laughs> And I was like, it's okay, it's okay. So I put someone else there, and he just stayed right next to me. And he said, Chris, um, man, he goes, if I was to sit down and tell someone about Jesus, I don't know what I'd say. And, he, and then he said this to me. He goes, what does that say about my walk with the Lord? He goes, I'm 21 years old. And, and, and the thought of, of sitting down and talking to someone about Jesus terrifies me. I want to change that right now. And, and you know, uh, I, it, was, it was unbelievably inspiring to watch this young man open his eyes to, man, I want to share the gospel with people. I want to be able to share my faith. And I love that question. What does that say about me? Uh, That's a question we all need to hear. That that if we know Jesus as our Savior, we've got to become persuasive. And so, you know, we've been in Acts. And and, and goodness gracious, this is such an incredible book. It's been incredible just walking through the book of Acts. And, And now in this journey, we see Paul, and he has gone on three missionary journeys. And, and we've kind of tracked with him through those missionary journeys as he's, he's come to faith in Christ and, and this incredible, um, incredibly bad man, this, this guy with this horrible past, comes to no forgiveness. And, and you know, the truth is, that's all of us, right? We all have a past that needs to be forgiven, and, 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 and we're so grateful for God's forgiveness, and Paul was, and, and he, he went to share the gospel with the world, and we're, we're in Acts 24 today, and if you have your Bibles, turn there. But, but in, this, in this part of Acts, we, we've already heard God speak to Paul. 
God said to him, Paul, here's what's going to happen. Your missionary journeys are over, but you're not finished being a missionary. Okay, And this is, this is what I, I think is important for us to understand. We may go on a mission trip, but we never stop being a missionary. And, and so here you see Paul, and God has said to him, through Agabus, remember Agabus, if you were with us, Agabus took his, Paul was about to go to Jerusalem, Agabus tied himself up and said, Paul, you're going to be bound, you're going to be arrested. And, and Paul was like, okay, uh, well, I'm not going to see that as a warning not to go. He saw that warning as, okay, I need to be ready for this to happen to me, which I think is an incredible lesson that I see in the book of Acts that I hope we embrace, that Paul, uh, Paul was warned, you're going to be bound. Paul also got a message from the Lord. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago that God stood by him and said, Paul, you're going to go to Rome to testify about me. And then we, Rob, Rob Lewis was here uh, last week, and we looked at this incredible moment when this Jew, these Jews, this group of Jews, were going to kill Paul. They were going to ambush him and murder him. And so the Roman government, they organized this thing, and they organized like what, what was like 200 soldiers, 70 cavalry, and 200 spearmen. 470 men gather around Paul and escort him out of town. Now, that's pretty cool, okay? I mean, I, I just think that's hilarious to me that, that this, one, these, this one guy that, that they probably think's guilty, they escort him, out of, escort him out of town on a horse and with 470 soldiers protecting him. That's crazy to me. Acts 24 is where we, we get to now. Paul is on trial. He's, he's kind of going through the legal system of the Roman government and they're protecting him because he's a Roman citizen. We'll look a little bit about that, a little, little bit at that next week in Acts 25. But, but Acts 24, would you stand with me? We're going to look at this encounter with Felix. I want to jump to the end, and then we're going to go back to the beginning of this chapter and kind of walk through it. But Acts 24, starting in verse 22, look at this. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was, a, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul, so he sent for him and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius, Porcius Festus, and desiring to the Jew, do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. And this is the word of the Lord. Now, um, what an interesting moment. Okay, let's go back to, back to verse 1 here. Um, after five days, Paul is, has been escorted out of town. And, and five days later, this priest Ananias came down 
with some elders. They're, they're like, okay, some guys had, had, had made a commitment. We're not going to eat until Paul's dead. And after five days, I'm like, okay, I want a sandwich, okay? They're kind of hungry by now. I bet they're starting to eat. Um, they, they, they go to the, the governor, and they lay their case against Paul. And they're like, and, and you know, these guys have made up these charges. Paul is being uh, imprisoned for something he didn't do. And it's these charges the Jews were made up, had made up, and there were these riots. And the Romans, their job is to keep peace. And, and let me tell you something, all, for a long time, it's been difficult to keep peace in Jerusalem, in that area. And they were struggling to, with this. They were trying to do this. And, and so Tertullius is this probably Greek lawyer. He reminds me of... Uh, Oh, O.J.'s lawyer, I can't remember his name, uh, uh, Garagos, okay? You, you, I mean, I'm, I don't know the guy, but, I mean, you see him on TV, you're like, okay, come on, he looks a little greasy, right? And, uh, and so I think I see Tertullius as one of those guys, okay, one of these greasy lawyers, man. They're, they're just spinning, it, spinning the truth. And sure enough, Tertullius comes, and you know, he's laying, on the, laying it on thick. Oh, Felix, you're, you've, made, you've got this incredible foresight. You've made this nation great. And you're like, okay, it's getting deep around here. Let's move on. Uh, verse 5, he says, Tertullius says, For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots, all the Jews throughout the world, uh, in all the Jews throughout the world, and is a, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. So they're pointing to Jesus from Nazareth. This is the only place in Scripture where Nazarenes are, are mentioned. The word Nazarene is mentioned. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him in verse 7. But examining yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. And, and the Jews, they, they're there. They join in the charge, verse 9, affirming that these things were so. Now, Felix, he's a politician. He, he's like, okay, um, man, I, he didn't like any of them, I don't think. But, but Felix is uh, kind of um, wanting to find the truth. He's wanting to figure this out. So look at verse 13. Paul gets a chance to speak to him. He kind of lays out his case. Verse 13 says, Paul, Paul says, neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me, but this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, Paul says, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. Now, um, verse 15, having a hope in God which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I, I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards God and man. And Paul's like, okay, look, I, I, I believe like these guys believe. I believe all the law and the prophets. And this is just a, a, an important statement about Paul. What, he, he believed in the Old Testament. He understood that, that the prophets, when they, when they made these prophecies about Christ, they were true. He believed what Moses, in Moses. He believed what the, 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 a lot of these Pharisees believed. Now, he didn't believe what the Sadducees believed because there were Pharisees and Sadducees in this group making these accusations against Paul. A Pharisee was, was a Fox News kind of guy, a traditional guy, one that said, look, 
he, a Pharisee was one that said, I believe in the resurrection. I believe in life after death. They were, they were conservatives. The Sadducees were, were these uh, liberals, these guys that were Jews, but they didn't believe in a resurrection. And, and this was the leaders of, they were educated. They were like professors that, that didn't believe in the resurrection. And Paul was like, look, I'm a Pharisee. I believe in life after death. Verse 17, now after several days, several years, Paul's making his case, I came to Israel to bring these offerings. That's what he did on his missionary journey. He got all these Greeks and, and, and these, these Gentile Christians. They took up an offering. They were presenting it to the Jews. And Paul's just saying, look, I did nothing that they are accusing me of. You look at it. You, you, you figure it out. Verse 22, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, he put them all off. So Felix knew about Jesus. He knew about the way. Felix knew about the conflict. So this is a guy that had, had heard about Christ, heard about the resurrection, heard about these Christians, these followers of the way. And, and, and so he sees through the conflict. And so he puts them off. He's a politician. He's a, you know, the wheels of justice. Don't you feel like that? If you've ever been in the court system, they're always putting things off. I guess we learned that from, from Felix here. Um, but he says, they put them off. When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Verse 23, then he gave orders to the centurion, and this is interesting, that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. Now, what do you see going on here? What does Paul do? Paul's, Paul's saying, look, look at my life. I want you to look at the example. Look at the way I lived, Felix, because all you have to do is look at my actions, and you will see that what these guys are saying about me are false. And you know what my prayer is? My prayer is that, is that as your pastor, as one of the pastors called into your life, that I can help us become persuasive. And I want us to notice something about Paul that helped him be persuasive. Now, point number one is this. You have your notes. I hope you follow along. Do you know that if we're going to be persuasive about our faith in Christ, do you know that we've got to live the right kind of life? You know, what does Paul do? He's like, look at my life. Look at what I did. Look at my example. Do you know one of the things that hinders our witness when we go to our workplace, when we're around our neighbors? One of the things that hinders us is the life we live. Years ago, we at our church in, in Oklahoma City, we did, a, we did an advertising campaign. And uh, there was a, a person that we put on a billboard that those that knew him thought, that's not good advertising for your church. And I was like, ouch. I mean, I mean, think about, can you look at your life? Are you good advertising for what it's like to be a follower of Jesus? You see, Paul could say, look, look at my life. What, how do he do this? Well, what, how, do he, how do he evaluate his, his life? Well, you see about what Paul did. He owned his mistakes. 
You know, we, all through his testimony, he says, look, look at what I did. I persecuted Christians. I thought like you guys. I, 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 didn't, I didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And, and, and you know what? We can all look back at, our, at mistakes we've made. And can I tell you one of the most effective things you can do as you follow Christ is not to uh, hide your mistakes. or You've got to own them. You know, one of the best things we can do as Christians is own our mistakes. But sometimes we want to hide our mistakes, don't we? We want to justify our mistakes. And this is why I, I want to stamp this out in, in, in church, that, that, that we are sometimes first Baptist churches in a community are known as some of the most stuffy people in a town. Now, now, our church is, overcome, is, is overcoming that reputation. But, but sometimes people that move in and go, ooh, I don't want to go to a First Baptist church because those are people that are, like, all proper and aren't honest about their lives. Let me tell you something. That's, that's, we, we're, we're not like that. If you're visiting today, that is not who we are. And I pray that, that, that we learn that important lesson of owning our mistakes. And look, we are people that can say, my past has been forgiven. And I worship the Lord because he's forgiven us and, and, and he's taken our sins away. And, and we're not people that have it all together. We're, we're a people that God is moving in us and helping us. Uh, another thing about Paul, he, his walk matched his talk. And this is important that, that he could say to Felix, look at what I did. And, and I pray we understand this. Um, and, and you know what else is cool? That, that I think this is just an interesting point that, that Felix said, hey, let's let Paul's friends attend to him. Because his friends were coming and ministering to him. And, and here's something I, that, that helps me as I walk with the Lord, as I, as I try to live the right kind of life. Because I want to live the right kind of life. And Paul wanted to live the right kind of life. He owned his mistakes. He, his walk matched his talk. But he didn't serve the Lord alone. Let's notice that. He wasn't serving the Lord by himself. His friends were attending to his needs. And, and this is why we need one another. This is why I love that, that, that Brad has kind of moved us to think about this day emphasizing our groups because we need to be in life together. We need to know one another. And, it was, and, and this is important in our marriages as we raise our kids, as we persuade people. We can't persuade people by ourselves. We need one another. And Paul sees, sees this, and, and, and I pray we are people that become more persuasive. And, and, and we want to persuade people in the, where we're planted, people that know us, to, to know about Jesus, 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And God's word moves us. And it's this interesting statement by Peter where he says people ought to be asking, what do you have? And, and this is why I pray we recognize the right kind of life that we live. We should live the right kind of life. Now look back at verse 22. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, he put them off, saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, that his friends shouldn't be prevented from attending to his needs. 
After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ. Now, who was this Felix guy? Okay, Felix, um, Felix was, was really a bad guy. Okay, I want you to know about him. He, uh, at one time, one time he was a slave. History, historians say that he used to be a slave, and, 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 and Claudius, this governor, this leader, gave him a job. And, and he had this brother, Felix had this brother named Marcus, who was kind of uh, well-known, and, and Marcus kind of helped him get this job. But Felix, you know what his name means? His name means happy. It's kind of like uh, in, if you're saying Feliz Navidad, right, uh, in Spanish, that's ha- happy Felix, that's what it means, happy. But, but let me tell you something. This was not a happy dude, and he did not bring much happiness to people in his life. Uh, this, this historian, Tacitus, he said, Felix was a master of cruelty and lust, and he exercised the power of a king with the spirit of a slave. That's what Tacitus says about him. So this is a bad guy. He was brutal. He was... Uh, he was not a good guy. His wife, Drusilla, you know who she was? She was kind of of Jewish descent. She was Herod's uh, youngest daughter, and she was really known to be beautiful. They, they, thought, they said that she was just a beautiful lady, and, um, but she was, she was from the Herods. Now, the Herods, if you know your, your Bible and history, the Herods were a mess, so I'll give you her, her lineage. Uh, her grandfather was the Herod that killed all the babies when Jesus was born. Okay? How would you like that as a grandpa? Way to go, Gramps. Good job on that one. Uh, his, uh, her, her uncle, he was the one that cut off John the Baptist's head. Okay? So, so this is her lineage. Okay? She was very beautiful. Felix wasn't her first husband. Uh, she was... Um, she was lured away by Felix, and, and uh, he married her. And so they are just a, an interesting power couple, right? And that's who they are. But, but look at this. After some days, Felix, verse, verse 24, Felix came with his wife, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Now, you would think he's the Roman leader. He's the guy that's in charge. He's the guy that's like, Paul, you're such a knothead. What are you doing? You know, you don't know. I'm the ruler. No, he's like, honey, we got to go hear this guy. Let's go get him and let's bring him to us because we got to hear what he's got to say. So it's almost like Paul's the prisoner. He has no, uh, you know, he doesn't have the right to say, hey, Felix, hey, I want to spend some time with you. No, Felix is coming after him. It's a beautiful picture of a person living the right kind of life, living that three, uh, 1 Peter 3.15 experience. But not only should we live the right kind of life, you know what? We need to look for the right kind of opportunities. And here is Paul right in front of his eyes. This opportunity presents himself. And, and here's what I love about the opportunities that God gives us. Do you know that God creates the opportunities for us to share the gospel? Like when you think about like the mission trip that, 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 that we're going to go on in our workplace, do you know that, that it's not your idea to share the gospel with somebody, that God's been working before it even comes into your mind? That's why we should have confidence. That's why we should be bold. That's why we should recognize, God, look, you're faithful. 
You've been working before I even thought about it. And so I want you to remember that the next time you're like, oh, man, I'm so nervous to, to bring up the gospel with a friend of mine. Understand, God's been working before you even thought about it. I saw this. I remember Greg Lee when I was a senior in high school. Greg is a, was a dear friend of mine, and I, we, we hung out all the time. And as a senior, I was realizing, you know what, I've never shared the gospel with Greg so I get in my car, I drive to 104th and Western in South Oklahoma City. Greg was working at Buchanan's at the time. I walked in the door and I said, hey, dude, I need to talk to you. And he was like, okay, I got a break in 20 minutes because that was, I mean, I didn't normally walk into Buchanan's looking for him. And, I, and, and I, I go, okay. And so he comes in my car. He has got a 20-minute break. We go to 7-Eleven right next door. And I said, dude, you're a dear friend of mine. And I've never sat down with you and said, Greg, would you, would you, do you know Jesus? And I was like, man, I, I just care about your eternal destiny. And right there at 7-Eleven, Greg came to Christ. Now, now, can I be honest with you, though? That was an amazing moment. God, God was at work in Greg's life. But here's the deal. Most of the time that I've shared the gospel in my life, people are like, no, thanks. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Okay. Um, And you know what's encouraging about this passage? That's exactly what happened to Paul. Paul shared the gospel with Drusilla over and and, and, and Felix over and over again. But, But I want you to know, our job is not to, not always to be there when someone comes to Christ. Our job is just to join God where he's working. And this is something I pray we often do. We're like, Lord, we're going to join you where you're working. And, and here's what I know about the work of God. You know Matthew 28, right? 18 through 20, Jesus said, came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you realize that God gives you power? God gives you strength that the Lord is with you everywhere you go. So you can, when, if you think, man, I can't go on that mission trip at my workplace. Yes, you can, because God will give you power. And this is the cool thing about serving the Lord. But I want you to notice, and as we kind of wrap up here, look at verse 25. As he reasoned, so Paul is reasoning with them. Paul is persuading them. Paul is saying, you got to see this. As he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Have you ever been that? that? I've had that happen most of the time. Go away. <laughs> go away. I don't want to, ah, go away from me. You know? And, and I want to encourage you that, that if you've like, man, God, I, I'm trying to be a witness, but everybody's running away from me. Well, doesn't it encourage you that that happened to Paul? Uh, it does me. I don't know about you, but, but, but I want you to notice the three things that he used because this is brilliant. Because these three things cause, have, have caused people all through history to think about God. 
And, and these three things are beautiful because we can use it to persuade others to come to Christ. He says, look, he reasoned to him about righteousness. Now, you know, the Bible says none is righteous. None of us is righteous. We're, none of us are righteous on our own. We're actually unrighteous. We need a Savior. That's what Paul says. He reasoned with him about righteousness. I can just imagine Paul saying, look, Felix, I was like this Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was righteous in the religious eyes, but I came to recognize I'm not righteous. So he's pointing to the fact that, look, I needed a Savior. And this is what he reasoned with him about righteousness. He reasoned with him about self-control. Now, isn't that where the rub hits most of the time? It's, it's when you say, hey, you're not in charge of your life. Don't we want to be in charge of our own destiny? Isn't that man's problem? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us have turned to his own way. And Paul reasoned with him about self-control, about surrender to God's will, I believe, about, about following Jesus, not your own plan for your life. How miraculous would, have, would it have been if Felix would have recognized, look, Jesus, I need to follow you, not my own selfishness, not my own ambition. I need to understand lordship, that, that surrender to the, the Holy Spirit. This is why I believe it's impossible for somebody to come to Christ if they come with an idea of, I'm just going to try Jesus. When I came to Jesus, I didn't just give him a shot. No, I came to Jesus and said, Lord, I surrender it all to you. I surrender my life to you. And so I hope that, I hope you've done that. I hope that's been a moment in your life when you've recognized, God, I'm a sinner and I have surrendered. You are Lord of all. You take over. You are in control. You are no, I'm surrendered to your voice, and it's without apology we are people that are surrendered to the will and the voice of God. Paul talked to him about self-control, and look at this, and the coming judgment. Folks, folks, people that die without Jesus will go to hell. And, and, and I hear people say, that's really mean of you to say that somebody's going to hell. It's, is meaner a word? Is meaner a word, Robin? Okay, it's meaner if you don't say anything. That's probably, that sounds really wrong grammatically. But don't be mean. Man, people need to know there's a judgment. You realize that death is not the end, right? Tomorrow, I'm preaching a funeral of Joyce Warren, one of our faithful church members drove till it, all the way up, up into her 90s and she's in heaven right now you know that death's not the end right um, folks there's a coming judgment and Paul looked at Felix and said hey man you're going to die someday and Felix was like, and Drew Schiller like, get away from me. And he reasoned with them. Point number three is we've got to consistently communicate the right kind of message. And, and I pray we learn how to do this. 
that, that we recognize that, that we, we, we communicate our desperate need of a, of a Savior. Can you, can you communicate your desperate need of a Savior? Oh, we have a desperate need of a Savior, all of us. None of us sit here in this place going, look, um, I am worthy. I'm unworthy. We need a Savior. Then I pray, we, we, like Paul did, we, we live out the blessing of submitting to Christ. You know that it's a blessing to submit to the Lord, right? That, that's, that's where you really find life, when you submit to the call of God, when you submit to his voice. That then we help others understand that, that death is the door to eternal life. This is, this is something that the world needs to know. I love Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope, listen to this, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him, and may you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, I pray we are people that overflow with hope. You know, uh, several years ago, Frank Turek was here, he preached right here, two years ago, about two years ago about right now. I went with him afterwards, after he preached here, and I went to UCO, University of Central Oklahoma. He spoke to a, to a, a group of students, and there was an atheist girl that gets up to challenge him on his beliefs, and he did a good job. It's actually, if you YouTube Frank Turek, he, he posted this whole interaction online uh, at, at UCO, and it's this dialogue of this this atheist girl, and, and he says to her, he says, um, uh, he goes, young, and he said her name, and, and I was there, I can't remember her name, but she, he said, if I were to persu- prove to you that it was absolutely true that Jesus lived on the earth, died on the cross, and rose from the dead, and he's the only way to eternal life, if I proved to, that to you, would you follow Jesus? And she said, no, I wouldn't. Even if you proved to me it was absolutely true, I wouldn't follow him. I appreciated her honesty because that's really the sad part of this story because this whole section ends as, verse 26, at the same time, Felix left. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. And look at this. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. Now let this sink in for a second. Verse 27. When two years had elapsed. Okay, let me read that again. When two years had elapsed. Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. He kept coming back to him. But he kept walking away going, ah, I'm troubled, I, I can't do it. Isn't that sad? I wonder how many times, maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. And maybe there have been those that have kept coming back to you over and over again. It's sad to reject him. So 
my prayer is that we recognize the, the discipline of Paul. He kept sharing. He never gave up. And if, you're, if you don't know Jesus today, I just want you to know we will never give up striving to persuade you to follow him. And I want you to know as your pastor, I'll never give up persuading us to be persuasive. Let's see people like Jesus sees them. Let's look where God is working and join him. Is that where you are today? You could, that, let me just say, that's where we need to be today. So we're going to have an invitation. And our invitation is to not, not respond to me because I need to respond to this message. I need to respond to God's voice who's speaking. And how are you to respond? Are you, you could come and talk to us and say, okay, um, persuade me that this is true. Oh, we'd love the opportunity to sit with you and persuade you that this is true. Come, come talk to us. We're, we're, we want to talk to you about that. Maybe as you've been here, God said you're supposed to go on that mission trip. And your response is to go, okay, Mike's going to be out there. Mike, stand up. I want you to everybody see you. That's Mike. Go talk to him. He's going to be out there, right? Okay. I'm just a pastor. I don't know where things are usually. Man, respond. 